This is most certainly true. The Word became flesh. Our Savior God was born a humble baby to set a world of sinners free. He became a person so that He could save people like us. And because He lived and died in our place, now we have a promise of life forever in heaven. Join our celebration of the birth of Jesus with this sermon recently delivered at Grace. In the first lesson this morning, Isaiah foretells the hope that will spring forth in the promised Messiah. These words serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. The word of the Lord. My family is blessed to have a nice home in Greenfield that we enjoy and that's very comfortable. We snagged it at a pretty good price when we moved here about seven years ago and little by little we've been adding our touches over the years to make this house into our home. It's a a fairly quiet neighborhood, and we have a decent-sized yard for the kids to play in and for our family to have some fun. We're very blessed and very content. But for all that we enjoy about our residence, there is one absolute eyesore that we despise. It is this vast wasteland of overgrowth on the corner of our property. It's a 20-foot by 50-foot rectangular ginormous patch of ugly nastiness. I know once upon a time it looked nice. When the original owner of the home had built the house, he planted five 
pine trees in a row. And over the decades, they grew to be 30 or 40 feet tall, forming this majestic wall of privacy and shade for the property. Well, clearly those glory days were long gone when we moved in. As we began to explore our yard a little bit, we found that the shrubbery we thought was hiding the bottom of these trees was actually buckthorn. And if you've ever dealt with buckthorn before, then you know it is just the worst. I am quite convinced that as soon as Adam and Eve bit the fruit, poison ivy and buckthorn sprouted in the Garden of Eden. The buckthorn just continued to grow over the years, and we found that it was strangling the trees. Two of them were nearly dead. The other three were well on their way. We tried to cut it back along with the weeds, but it kept growing back more vicious and and larger than before. It was entangled with the trees. For some of them, almost impossible to cut it out. It was so interwoven. And so two years ago or so, the old chainsaw and axe came out. With some help from my awesome father-in-law and his tree-cutting experience and with some volunteer muscle from some teenagers I know, they all were leveled to the ground. We cut them all down. They were basically dead anyways. We leveled the whole patch to nothing but stumps and dirt. I'm sad to report that it's still a hot mess today. Somehow, the city successfully dodges this project because it is technically on their easement on our property. And so the buckthorn just grows back year after year. Nothing else is able to grow. And, and beneath all, that, all of that mess is buried these five dead stumps, kind of as a, a monument to this lifeless, useless, worthless patch of horticultural disaster. As embarrassing as this little bit of landscaping is on our property, it's not nearly as embarrassing or not nearly as much of a disaster as the spiritual wasteland that Israel had become. For quite a while, Israel towered as majestic, glorious trees among all their neighbors During the reigns of King David and his son King Solomon, Israel was filled with power and glory and might and wealth, but quickly sprang up the weeds of wickedness and the poison ivy of immorality and the strangling buckthorn of idolatry. Oh, there was always seedlings of immorality and idolatry, but especially after King Solomon, Israel became overrun with it. You might know after Solomon, the the kingdom divided in half, and northern Israel was the biggest mess, completely filled with idols and wickedness. The southern kingdom called Judah was barely hanging on by a thread, and they continually rode the roller coaster. Good king, bad king, good king, awful king. 250 years passed from King David, and that will bring you about to the beginning of the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. And what a mess the land was. What a sight to see. Idols filled the land. Sexual immorality was everywhere, including in the temples. The leaders were corrupt. The priests 
were corrupt. Cheating and greed were commonplace in the the workplace and the market. Violence and bloodshed were everywhere. Both northern Israel and Judah in the south had become vast spiritual wastelands because they had all but completely forgotten their God. And so the Lord sent the prophet Isaiah, along with other prophets, to proclaim the harshest of consequences. The buzzsaw of God's judgment was coming. The northern kingdom of Israel was about to be leveled by the kingdom of Assyria, Isaiah proclaimed. And in fact, that happened about 20 years into Isaiah's ministry. But Judah in the south, they were going to be facing God's consequences as well. The axe was at the root of the tree because of their wickedness and idolatry. They were basically spiritually dead anyways, and so they would be leveled to nothing but rubble as well. It's a sad story, really, to see the glory and majesty of Israel, the joy of being God's chosen people, and then to watch as we read page by page through the pages of the Old Testament and see generation after generation as they just let it slip right through their fingers. You can watch as the weeds of wickedness and the strangling buckthorn of idolatry grabbed a hold of them. And, and then we see how they were raised to the ground by Assyria in the north and Babylon in the south and became nothing but dead stumps. And honestly, to this day, as you know, Israel is still one big mess. It's a sad and disheartening story. But for as much as this is a story of mourning for us, this should also be a story of warning for us. The Apostle Paul once said this to the Corinthians, similar to what he said in the second lesson to the Romans. Paul says this, These things happened to Israel as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. If we think 2,700 years after after Isaiah that God is simply going to gloss over sin and give us a little wink and turn the other direction, then we are sorely mistaken. God is still very serious about sin. And what John the Baptist preached 2,000 years ago is still valid today. Did you hear what he said to those pompous and pious Pharisees? John said, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The buzzsaw of God's judgment has cut down dead trees before and it can and will do so again. This is why John the Baptist came with such rough clothing and had such a rough diet, locusts and wild honey, and why he went to such a tough place like the wilderness. He had a rough and tough message. Repentance is serious business. And truly, if I listen to the message of John the Baptist and his urging to examine my heart, I will quickly find what a chaotic mess lies within I know I often fall into the trap of thinking I am some towering tree of righteousness for all the world to see. 
But when I pull my head out of the clouds and examine what's deep in the heart, I find what a spiritual wasteland I can become. It is nothing but a bramble of bravado in there, an overgrowth of greed with weeds of wickedness sprouting up and thorny thoughts of selfishness and the entangling buckthorn of idols that I put in front of God in my heart becomes strangling on my faith at times. When John the Baptist came, he came with urgency. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There was no time to waste. Jesus was on the scene. The message is still valid today. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming back soon. And that's why so often throughout the year, but especially during Advent, we join together to sing and to say and to pray, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. But my friends, just when we might join Israel to think that all is lost, that there's no hope for the spiritual wasteland that is in this world, for the dead stumps of sinfulness we can find in our hearts, that's when God comes through the prophet Isaiah with this message of grace and love. Where there was nothing but chaos, there would sprout forth hope. Where there was nothing but death, there would spring forth life. Where there was nothing but a dead stump, a branch would grow forth. Look again at what Isaiah says to us in the first lesson from Isaiah chapter 11. God says this through his prophet. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Even though the line of kings in succession after David would be cut down and end, and it in fact did, from that hopeless death of a stump, a new branch, a new king would spring forth, and this king would be different than any other. God goes on to describe, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Unlike the many kings who led Israel astray, led with a, a spirit of selfishness and immorality and foolish wickedness, this king would be filled with the capital S, spirit of the Lord. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and counsel and might and delight in the Lord. That means that how this king would interact with his people would also be very different than any other king. The description continues. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Rather than the weeds of wickedness that we find in our hearts, this branch, this king, would be filled with righteousness Rather than the lying lips that pour forth lies and cursings and so many other things, this king would have lips filled with the words of God. Rather than the favoritism and biases that we have, the partiality we find in our hearts, this king would judge with justice and compassion. 
what this king would bring and would do would be unprecedented for anything this world has ever seen. Did you catch that from God's very unique descriptions in these verses? That the wolf would lie down with the lamb, that the leopard would live with the goat, that an infant would put its hand into the cobra's nest. These are things that are just unthinkable to us because disaster would happen. That's because all we know since the fall into sin is hatred and violence and anger and bloodshed and war and death. But what this king would bring would be different because they will neither harm nor destroy on my mountain, God says. This king would bring peace. Amid all the chaos of this world, amid all the vast spiritual wasteland of dead spiritual stumps, God tells us that hope springs eternal. That really is the message of the prophet Isaiah. As you read through the book of the prophet Isaiah, I hope during this Advent you do because we're also focusing on Isaiah on our midweek Advent services. Read through Isaiah and you'll hear harsh consequences and judgment against sin. But interwoven and interlaced are these beautiful promises of God's grace. If we backed up two chapters to Isaiah 7, we would hear about how God telling that he's going to give a sign that a virgin would be with child and give birth to a son and he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And two chapters later in Isaiah 9, that for all of us groping around in the darkness, God says that for those walking in darkness, a light would come. And this child would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Here in chapter 11, he tells us how a branch would spring forth from this stump, from this stoop of Jesse. Later on in chapter 53, Isaiah says that this servant of the Lord would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. God's judgment against sin is always right and righteous and it's always coming against sinners. But Israel still had hope because the Messiah would come. And so when we listen to the message of John the Baptist today, urging us to repent, warning us that the divine act is at the root of the tree, we still have hope too because that Messiah did come. And you know who that is. Jesus Christ was born of the house and line of David, a royal king born in Bethlehem, a branch springing forth from the stump of Jesse, David's father. You know how Jesus was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. We remember how the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism. And his whole life was filled with righteousness and faithfulness for you and in your place. And then he laid down that life to bring what no other king could bring. Peace with God forever. And so our God declares to us in the last verse, verse 10 of this first lesson, that this branch would spring forth from the stump and become a banner for all people to see. Listen to what God says. In that day, the roots of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Jesus is that victorious king 
who stands as the banner for all people to see, the Savior of all the world, for all nations to rally to him from every corner of the earth. He is the one who offers this glorious resting place. Think about how Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We think of the rest that we have coming for us in heaven. With Jesus, hope springs eternal You know, for all the the chauffeuring of my children that I do throughout the day, I probably pass by that mess of landscaping at my house six or eight times a day. And it is one constant reminder of hopelessness in my yard that is always a warning of, I have something yet to do here. There's some work to be done. I would also imagine that in your life, like mine, you often feel like that kind of a mess. Perhaps you feel like nothing ever goes right and everything around is going wrong. Like life is chaotic and disorganized. Perhaps you feel at times the entangling weeds of Satan's temptations strangling around your faith. Maybe you feel at times like you are doomed to nothing but sin and sadness in this world. Listen to what your God has to say today. He knew the sin of his people Israel, and yet he came with a message of mercy and love. And so your God loves you too. In that verse I just read, verse 10, the Lord says, In that day the Lord will stand as a banner. I suppose that begs the question, well, when is that day? Well, we're about to celebrate that day in the first place. That day when Jesus would stand as a banner is, first of all, when he was born at Christmas and all the angels heralded glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. But that day was also the day that the Savior came to you through word or water and word and baptism to the dead stump of your heart and produced a branch that would spring forth in you and grow into a tree that would produce fruit. In fact, that day is today and every day when the Savior comes to us and stands as a banner for all the people to see as Savior of all, a banner for us to point others to, to see Jesus as the Savior of all. And one more thing, a good reminder during Advent, that day is also yet to come when Jesus will stand as a banner for all to see the last day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, no matter the the trouble or tragedy you have in life, hope springs eternal because Christ has come, Christ still comes, and Christ will come again. You do have hope now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.